All right, let's, let, let's just be honest with ourselves this morning. How many of you, um, you tend to put things in certain places and then you just forget where they are? Okay, can we... All right, so you're all like me. Or, or how many of you, like you, you just put something in a certain place like five minutes before and then you can't find it? So, you know, it's whether it's the car keys or the TV remote. And, and one time I could not find my car keys. And we always, you know, it's like they always think, always put your keys in a certain place. Don't leave them in different places. So you walk in the door of a place where... We hang our keys. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, I just can't, I don't know what I did with my car keys. You know, Kathleen says, you, you know, you check all your, I'm just yelling at the other room. I can't find my car keys. She goes, you know, the, the typical, you know, did you check your pockets? Yes. Did you check the, you know, the hook in the hallway? Yes. I that. Okay. And so she, I, so I finally walked up and I'm like, Kathleen, I can't find my keys. And she goes, how about you start looking in your hand? They were right in my hand. You ever done that? You ever, I mean, it's like, duh, okay, that would be a good place to start is my hand. Um, it's funny how easily we, we just can forget or, or mis, misplace things. Um, I, I, like, um, I love looking at um, photo albums. Um, that's kind of a lost art, isn't it? Photo albums now that, um, because we have all the pictures on our phones. And so unless you actually get them printed, you know, you just kind of look through your phone. But, um, you know, my parents have been doing a good job trying to keep things into, into photo albums. So it's like you go over their house and my kids love, um, looking through the photo albums. And when, uh, two of my boys graduated, my parents kind of made them a photo of, of their life, which is really nice. You can go back and I always see them kind of looking through there and it's kind of need to remember, you know, you know, how much they've uh, grown up and how much they eat now. And boy, it was great when they were younger. This need a lot, right? Now it's just like the eating out of house and home. And, and it's great sometimes remembering uh, those memories are neat. And, and, oh, I forgot about that time. And it's a great conversation starter. And um, it's very clear that we see in the word of God that God doesn't want us to forget. He, he doesn't he doesn't want us to forget um, the things that he has done for us. And, and for some reason, there's, a, there's something within our hearts that tend to easily forget the good things God has done. How many know there can be um, 20 good things that can happen in your day, and then that one bad thing that happens, that's the thing we tend to remember. Or that's the thing that we tend to talk about the most. Did you see that guy? That, you, know, you can have a great day and you just won the lottery, you know, and you come home, but that one person cuts you off. And that's the thing that, that you remember, that one negative thing. There, there's something about the proclivity of our hearts that tend to forget the good things that happen in our lives. And God, um, throughout his word, never wanted us to forget what he has done for us. It's interesting, uh, Psalm 103 kind of captures this really well. It says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Isn't that a great promise? Love that promise. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. To remember to obey his precepts. And what we're doing this summer is we're going through um, the book of Judges, and, and, and Judges was a time about 1,200 years before Christ, and uh, the Israelites have come out of 
this horrible oppression in Egypt some 400 years. And God has made a covenant with Israel that he's going to make them a great nation. And he's promised them this land called Canaan. And so he brings them through the wilderness, the desert, for 40 years under the leadership of of Moses. And then eventually would hand that leadership over to Joshua. And there was the enemy in the land. And God said, you're going to have to drive out the enemy because there's going to be um, their foreign gods that will lead you astray. and, and, And I don't want anything to ruin my relationship with you. And so this great thing happens where they come into the promised land under the uh, leadership of Joshua, but, but their hearts begin to turn cold. The, the things, the great, wonderful things that God has done for them, they, they, they're tending to forget what, what God has, has done uh, for them. And as we've been going through the book of Judges, we, we've studied over the last couple of weeks how, how they got to that point to where they became apathetic towards God. God does this great thing by bringing them through the wilderness, feeding them with this miracle bread from heaven, bringing water from a rock. Um, He does all these wonderful things, bringing them through the Red Sea, and they just kind of forgot these wonderful, mighty deeds that God had done for them. And they just kind of got apathetic. They kind of got into their own world and their own lives and they got immersed in the culture around them. And it kind of just dulled the voice of God from speaking to their hearts. And Judges 3, 7 just kind of explains this really well. It says, it says, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they forgot. They forgot the Lord, their God. And what did they do? They served the Baals and the Asherahs, which basically were the pagan deities of the culture around them, which caused them to do very immoral things. And so they just, what the word says there is they simply forgot. They just stopped doing God. And so what does that word mean that they actually forgot? Now, this is very interesting uh, uh, translation here. It's not that they totally forgot about God, like, well, who's God? It's not that they were um, just like, okay, we don't even remember and we don't know who this God is and we just got completely immersed in the culture and started serving these other gods. But it, was, it just came to a time in their life where it just, God just wasn't important to them. He was just kind of out of their minds. And the meaning here is that they were not controlled by God or they stopped obeying God. So it's not that they didn't know of the stories. It's not that they didn't remember God's deliverance or his power or his mighty hand in their life. It's just they didn't care anymore. They, they weren't controlled. They didn't allow God to lead their lives anymore. They didn't obey uh, his word. It's like you could tell your child, listen, make sure you do your homework before you go to bed. And they know what they're supposed to do. But in the back of their mind, they could be thinking, well, I'm not going to do it anyways. And I'm going to make some excuse. And if they go to bed and they don't do their homework, it's not that they forgot. It's just they chose not to do it. They chose not to obey. And so Israel was not controlled by what they knew of God. They just kind of blew it off. It it wasn't real or relevant to them. They were basically indifferent from God. And so what I want to do is today, I want to look at why we can't forget about God. I want to look at the important, because this is the whole foundation of judges and their problem of, of not serving God and why there was such a 
uh, problem in their lives is, is, is the bottom of underneath all of their struggles is that they just forgot God. They weren't controlled by him. They, they weren't living in obedience to God. And then what I want to do today is look at the first two leaders that God rose up to help deliver Israel from the enemy around them. And so God, what he did was he allowed the enemy around them to take control of them so that they would actually cry out to him. So God hadn't given up on them. God could have easily given up on them and say, listen, you're not going to listen to me. You're on your own. But God, by his grace, would rise up these judges or leaders to help deliver them from their oppression. And this is something that we can learn in our lives today about God's grace and how he delivers us and how he cares for us and how his grace is always there for us. And so I want to look at those uh, two very important things. So at, at, at the end of the day, it was, it was a, a hard thing. Um, we, can, we can hear passages on forgiveness, but yet refuse to forgive someone. We can hear passages on anger and yet not deal with it correctly. And, and, and what it comes down to, it comes down to a heart thing. Is God really in control of my life? Am I not only listening to his word, but, but am, am I being obedient? It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an obedient thing also. And so by us remembering the things that God has done for us, by, by us always having God on our mind, he will have control of our hearts to allow us to do the things that he requires of us. See, salvation comes when we recognize that we're saved by grace through Christ. But salvation becomes real and tangible to me by the way I live it every single day in my life. I begin to live out what I believe. So I will offer grace and I will be forgiving because God offered me his grace when I didn't deserve it. And Jesus forgave me when I didn't deserve his forgiveness. So if I understand that, and that computes in my head, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. But then I don't show someone else mercy. And I don't show other people grace. There's a disconnect there. There's something missing. The gospel hasn't really taken root in my heart. What it becomes is a religious thing. I go through the religious motions. I know about God. But I don't, I'm not really living out God in my life. And how do you know it becomes real when you have to forgive someone who seems very unforgivable? Can I get an amen? It, it becomes real when you have to show mercy when people don't deserve mercy. That's when it becomes very difficult. But we have to understand, if we're going to understand the heart of the gospel message, is that God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still good people, Jesus died for us. Is that what it says? No, while we were still what? Sinners. Jesus died for us. So we didn't do it. We, we, we didn't do it correctly before the Lord. We didn't live our lives correctly before the Lord apart from him. But God demonstrates this. So, so it's the core for forgetting is to remember. Here, here's, here's the core of it. And so the cure for, for forgetting is to remember. And so what God says to us, listen, if you want to cure your heart from, from being disobedient to the Lord or not, listen, the cure here for forgetting is to remember. The, the cure for indifference is, is obedience. And I love what 
the apostle Peter says here to his listeners as he writes to them, he says, listen, if you, if you want to continue to, to grow in your relationship with God and not forget what he's done for you, I want to remind you of these things. And, and he, he shares this in his letter. And Peter says this in Second Peter. He says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual uh, affection and to mutual affection love. And, and he's, what, what Peter's saying is he's, he's not telling us to try harder. He, he, he's saying, listen, these are the characteristic, characteristics of, of someone who is following Christ. Um, if, if these aren't the characteristics of our life, something is wrong. We've forgotten something. We've forgotten something that Christ has done for us. He goes further on in that chapter. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measures... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And that's important for us to remember. So what, what Peter saying is don't forget. Listen, it's, it's by the way you live your life. And if you're increasing in these things, it's showing that God is doing a work in your life and you haven't forgotten the things that God has done. And Peter goes on in verse 12 and he says, so I will always remind you. I will remind you and I will remind you and I will remind you again of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So Peter wants to make sure they never forget how they were saved and what Jesus did for them. And if they're not increasing in these things, if their character is not changing, if they're not growing closer to the Lord, then there's something wrong with their walk with God. And so he said, the, he said, the, the thing that we never, never should do is, is ever forget what Jesus did for us. We have to constantly be reminded of what Jesus did for us. Every time we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded of ourselves. That's the cross that Jesus died for me. And if I forget that my sins have been forgiven, then I'm going to be stingy in my forgiveness with other people. I'm not going to allow the grace of God to rule my life if I forget what Jesus Christ did for, did for me. And that's the heart and the crux of the gospel. Because it's funny how quickly we can forget the forgiveness we receive from Christ over and over again. And when we get into an argument or we have a disagreement, we forget that we should love and forgive each other. And it's funny how we uh, just, how that gets thrown out the door and so quickly when we have a disagreement with someone. See, at times we, we, we need to constantly be reminded of what we already know. We need to be reminded that we need grace and we need to offer grace. How many, how many realize there are times I just need grace? Because we make so, so many mistakes and we're going to blow it at times and we need God's grace. And there are times that we're going to need to offer grace to people who have blown it also. See, we're not any different from Israel. We're not any different from Israel in the book of Judges. And we have Christ and the Holy Spirit in our life to remind us, which, which they weren't reminded of those things. But yet we are reminded of the gospel and of Jesus and what he has done for us. So how can we make sure to remember and never forget that we are saved by grace? 
One of the things that Jesus does for us to help us to never forget that we are saved by grace and we have to live our lives every single day by God's grace is by Jesus issuing communion with his disciples. And, and before Jesus goes to the cross, he has this last supper with his disciples and, and he breaks the bread and they drink the cup and Jesus says, this, is, this bread symbolizes my body, which is given for you, which is broken for you. And this cup symbolizes this new covenant that I'm going to make with you. Whenever you do this, do this what? In remembrance of me. Listen, it's not some religious calisthenic that we go through just to say, oh, goody, we went through and we took communion together. Jesus says, I never want communion to lose its meaning in your life. And anything we do over and over again, if we're not careful, and I'm not saying doing something over and over again is not a bad thing, but what I'm saying is sometimes it can lose its meaning. And Jesus didn't want communion, when we take it together as the church, to ever lose its meaning. And Paul further reflects this to the, uh, further adds on to this when he speaks to the church in Corinth, when he says, listen, when you take communion, because the church wasn't taking it correctly, they were ignoring some other people in the church and it was just a mess. And, And what Paul says is when you take this, never forget to examine your heart. And, and, and if there's anything wayward in your heart, then you give that to the Lord. Luke 22 gives us, gives us the words of Jesus. And it says, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So every time we take communion, we're reminded that we're a people saved by God's grace. Every time we take communion, we're reminded of the gospel message that Jesus died for sinners. And that should humble us and cause us to be dependent on Jesus, to never forget it's only by Christ that we can find salvation. And the apostle Paul once again says, listen, he says in first Corinthians, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. See, the reason why we're to examine our hearts every time we take communion and to remember what Jesus did for us 2000 years ago is for this reason. Our hearts need constant revival or they will grow cold. Can I get an amen, someone out there? Our, our hearts can so easily grow cold. Listen, the danger for anyone, let me just say this, the danger for anyone that's been a Christian for any amount of time is allowing your heart to be desensitized to the voice of God. Because how many of us know when you, when you become a Christian for any amount of time, you go to church and you read your Bible and you're like, okay, I heard that. And then maybe another Christian may hurt you. And then it's like, okay, they're all the same. And then, and then we kind of generalize everybody and we lump everybody in the same thing. We lump all churches in the same thing. And we, we can become very desensitized from hearing the voice of God in our own lives that we too need forgiveness and we too need God's grace. Can I be honest with you? The issues in the church are not doctrinal issues. They're relational issues. The majority 
of problems within the church have nothing to do with doctrinal issues. Very rarely it has to do with relational issues of how do we get along with each other? How do we live in grace relationships and not law relationships? It's hard to do because when I've been hurt, it's hard for me to forgive. But unless I keep going back to the cross, I won't have the ability to do that unless I put my life back in line with the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for me. If I'm not continually going to the foot of the cross and finding forgiveness from Jesus himself for my waywardness, it's going to be very difficult for me to offer grace to other people. Does that make sense? I can't forget that. I can't forget that because it's easy it's very easy to do. So our hearts need constant revival or they will grow cold. And this is really the theme of the book of Judges. So Israel's heart, they grow cold. God allows the enemy to subdue them, which made them cry out for a deliverer, and they needed revival. So I want to look at, so th- there's the basis of really the whole book of Judges, is that they just forgot. And we can't forget either. But what I want to do today is I want to look at two judges or leaders that God raised up. And we're going to look at this in Judges chapter 3. There's Othniel and Ehud. And I want to look at these two guys. Now, this is interesting. If, if We're going to read some stories. Some of this may get a little PG-13. So just buckle your seatbelts. You're going to be like, man, I need to read the Bible more. This is pretty cool stuff. Doesn't whitewash stuff. So it's going to make it a little graphic. But we're going to read it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to press through this because there's a reason why these stories are in, in the word of God. So here, here's this first leader that God raises up. His name is Othniel. And, and God raises up uh, this leader who hears the call of God um, to bring them out of oppression from the enemy that came around them. So let's look at Judges chapter 3. And here's this first judge. It says, uh, but when the people of the Lord cried out to the Lord for help, here, here's they're crying out for help. They feel the oppression around them. The Lord raised up a rescue to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb, the younger brother of Kenaz. And so the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Very important. There's the revival that's happening among Israel at this time. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became Israel's judge or, or leader. Now, what he did was he comes against this war against this king from Cushan, Rishathaim of Aram. And what the Lord does is he gave Othniel this great victory over him. And so because of that, there is peace in the land for 40 years. And so as long as Othniel is alive, there's this peace. God's spirit is on Othniel. Now there's this great peace within the land and they're enjoying this. But the moment Othniel dies, so does that peace. And so what the word of God tells us, Othniel, the son of, of Kenaz, dies. And all of a sudden, so does this peace. And so what makes Othniel so unique? Well, verse 10 says the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And it's through the spirit of the Lord that we find this restoration. And it's through Othniel, God brings peace for 40 years. But when Othniel dies, so does the peace. The peace only lasted as long as Othniel was alive. And, and what makes Christ so unique here is that what we see in Christ is one who doesn't die and one who gives us eternal peace. Isn't that wonderful? That he is our Prince of Peace. But we see this sad cycle with Israel, that God gives them a deliverer 
And then they die, and then they slip back into their old ways. So once again, here we go. Israel needs another deliverer. And this is where I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on this next um, judge. And I want, want you to see what God does with um, this judge, Ehud. And so if we continue to go on through Judges chapter 3, I want us to look at verses 12 through 15. And it says, once again, here we see the cycle. Israel did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King, King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. So God allowed this to happen in response to their evil. And so Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, these, these enemies around them. And then he went out to defeat Israel, taking possession of Jericho, in the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon Moab for 18 years. They had to pay tribute to him. There's a lot of oppression that happened during this time. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, what does God do? He hears their cries. And again, he raises up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Of left Handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. I want you to describe that because some of you are left-handed and you just gave me a little woohoo. But I want to, there's a reason why the Bible, why does the Bible describe him as, who cares if he's left-handed or right-handed? There's a reason. We're going to dig into that. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So let me explain what's going on here. Eglon now becomes Israel's judge or leader, a dictator. They have to pay him tribute. It, it's, it's basically representative of their sin. So now they're enslaved to this king. They've got to pay him a tribute. They're under oppression and they cry out to God. And so they become his servant. And once again, they're under oppression. Their judge is not God's leader, but the enemy. See, you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan was right. You're going to have to serve somebody. We, we, listen, we may think, well, okay, I'm not going to serve God, but you're going to serve somebody. It's such, that's a great song written many, many years ago. Listen to it this afternoon. Look up Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody. Great song. But it's true. And, and what happens here is they think, well, we don't want to serve God, but guess what? They end up serving the enemy. We say, well, I don't want to serve God, but you're going you're gonna to serve something. Something's going to dictate your life. And God's saying, I don't want you to serve under this oppression. I want you to serve. I don't oppress you. I don't hold you under. I want to give you my grace and my love and my freedom. And that's what God desires for each and every one of us here today. But the proclivity of our heart, for some reason, is to serve something else because we think there's something better out there. Can I just let you in on a little secret today? Are you ready? It's the best thing you're going to hear all day. There's nothing better out there. There's nothing. It, 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 listen, I'm old. I'm 53 now. It ain't out there. You're not going to find it, okay? It's not. A, Jesus is the best thing. The best thing ever. So you're not going to find it. So there, there you go. Save you hundreds of dollars reading books and seminars, okay? There's... Nothing better out there. So he, I want you to notice um, how Ehud is described. He's described as this left-handed man. And this is interesting why, why this is brought up. Because it's like, well, what's the big deal? Who cares if he's left-handed or right-handed? How, how many of you are, are left-handed? 
Raise your hand. Good, a lot of left-handed people. My, my daughter's left-handed. She's shifty, so watch out for her. She's, be careful. She's shifty, left-handed person, all right? I'm just teasing. Um, if, if, it's funny. If you look up um, right-handed in the Word of God, there's interesting description of the right hand of God in, in the Word of God. Um, if you were to look up the reference to right hand in the Bible, you're, you're going you're gonna to find it as a symbol of, of power, Ability, honor, the symbol of the right hand is usually very positive in scripture. God swears by his right hand, his pleasure is at his right hand. With the sword, you will fight with your right hand. It's actually a symbol of of power. Um, Tim Keller, in his book in Judges, uh, he interprets verse 15 where it, it literally means this about Ehud. He was unable to actually use his right hand. That's interesting. So he was unable to actually use his right hand. So God's delivery was not like Othniel. Ehud was not from a warrior family. Ehud didn't go to war right away like Othniel. He didn't have that confidence. He wasn't a warrior. In fact, he was... He was this left-handed person because of something that happened in his life. Ehud's from the physical stature wouldn't be God's, you know, or anyone you would think, well, this wouldn't be natural choice. This wouldn't be someone who was left-handed or someone who had this physical impairment wouldn't be the natural choice for God to use. But God chooses him in spite of what others would see as ineffective. There's something that God sees in Ehud that he wanted to use. And sometimes we think it's the, you know, the warrior or this person with this great physical stature that, that, that God would use. But this is where the story gets really interesting. Ehud wants to get close to King Eglon and kill him. And so what he does is he brings him the tribute money. And, and Ehud is smart. So he's like, well, how, how am I going to get close to this king? I, I'm not the warrior type. I'm, not, I, I'm probably not going to be able to rally Israel together to rise up against him. But here God rises up this left-handed person to go and, and, and lead Israel out of, out of oppression. So what, what Ehud does is he makes a sword, the word of God tells us, and he hides it under his cloak. Now, normally a right-handed soldier would put their sword on their left side and so they could pull it out of it, you know, pull it out of its holder and then they could go to war. But Ehud would put his sword in his right side so that he could, he could use it. Now, he goes before Eglon the king, but can't get close enough. And so he, what he does is he, he has these other men with him and he tells them, hey, tell King Eglon that I've got a, a secret for him. And so I, I want to tell him the secret. So King Eglon doesn't see Ehud is much, much of, of a threat. Um, maybe the reason is, is because there's some disability within his, in his right hand. Uh, maybe it was from an injury, whatever it may be. And he notices like, okay, this guy doesn't seem much of a threat. Um, there's some disability that he might have with his right hand. So I don't seem as much as a threat. And so what King Eglon does is he underestimates Ehud. And so Eglon thought because of his disability, he could not yield a sword. And boy, would he be wrong. He would be dead wrong. And so Eglon 
has all his servants leave, and now you just have the two of them together. Okay, so let's read what happens next. This is where it gets a little PG-13. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, so let's read what happens next. We'll read it right from the word of God. So it says, Ehud, what he does is he reaches with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunges it into the king's belly. So the king was a big guy. I don't know if it was like Jabba the Hutt, but he was a big guy. So he, he plunges it in the king's belly and, and even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. You're like, man, I'm glad I came to church today. This is good stuff. And then Ehud, what he did was he did not pull the sword out and the fat closed over it. And so then I know it's getting better, isn't it? You're like, this is in the Bible. It is. It's you need to read it sometimes. This is good stuff. Then Ehud went out to the... See, now I've got all the young kids perked up all of a sudden. All the teenagers are like, okay, now I'm tuned in, Pastor. I wasn't for a while, but now I'm tuned in. This is getting good now. So then what happened... For all the teenage boys, it even gets better. So now they're going to start listening. So here we go. Uh, Then Ehud went out the porch and shut the door to the upper room behind him, and he locked them. And after he was gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked, and they said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. Now all the teenage boys are like, yeah, cool, man. All right, yeah, all right, here we go. Then they waited to the point of embarrassment now, I could go even further about this with other translations, but I won't. I'll try to keep it real whoop, copacetic here this morning. But when he did not open the door to the room, they took a key and they unlocked it. And they saw that their Lord had fallen on, onto the floor dead. And so here's the interesting thing. Ehud, by what he does, he actually secures. Now, this word gets out. So they're like, whoa, what did Ehud do? This guy, he's the man, right? And all of a sudden this word gets out and it secures the confidence of Israel to go to battle against the enemy and to bring them out of oppression, which resulted in 80 years of peace. 80 years of peace from someone who thought God couldn't use Someone who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the Lord and I'm going to obey the Lord. See, see, I want you to understand that it, it just wasn't defeating the enemy. It was defeating oppression in their life. Listen, some of you here, listen to me closely, have been making a lot of excuses in your life for the reason why you're allowing the oppression in your life. You've been saying to yourself, well, I'm not equipped enough or I don't have the right skills, or I didn't have the right family upbringing, or I had this, uh, you know, just just thought patterns or uh, addictions in my life, whatever it may be. And, And we've made a lot of excuses. And God says, listen, don't allow those excuses to keep you from allowing my power to work through you to defeat the oppression that's been in your life for so many years. God does not desire that thing in your life. He says, I will actually lose. Listen, God says, I will actually use your weaknesses to defeat that oppression in your life. See, we're thinking that it's got to be the strong, the bold, the mighty, that, you know, I'm picking myself up by my bootstraps. God says, no, 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 that's not the type of leader I use, and that's not how I'm going to get you out of oppression. See, what Ehud shows us is the type of person God actually uses 
to overcome the oppression that's in our life. See, what God does is he actually uses Ehud's weakness for his purpose to show his power. This right there, what Ehud does, shows the gospel message, shows the power of the cross in our lives. Now, let me, let me, dial, let me dial this in for us. I like what Tim Keller says here. He says, Jesus delivers his people not through great triumph, but through crushing defeat. Now, now let, me, let me hone in on this. You see, the salvation of God actually came through the humility of the cross and not through a military victory. It did, Jesus didn't come down. He could have came down with a great army of God, right, and just wiped out all the enemies. He didn't. He knew the way to reach our heart and to change our lives was through the power of humility, to submit himself to the cross for our sins because he knew the greater problem was my sin. The greatest oppression, listen, this is so good. This is going to be, oh, okay, listen, this is good. See, the biggest problem in Israel was not King Eglon, Jabba the Hutt. That wasn't their problem. What was their problem? It was their own sin. They needed a deliverer, and it was only by God's grace that he brought a deliverer that they didn't deserve. You see, if, if, if God felt like our biggest problem was the economy, he would have brought us an economist, right? If, if he thought that our biggest problem was the government, also, he would have brought us a politician. I don't know why I said that. That's terrible, but it's just, that's a good illustration, okay? Just, he knew that our biggest problem was our sin, so he brought us a savior to deal with our sin. Now, Jesus will come back, as king of kings and lord of lords and deal with evil and finally set us free to be with him forever. Amen. That's the exciting part about being a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. This is the point of the story that God says, through my grace, I'm going to send you a deliverer that you don't deserve. And so salvation comes through the humility of the cross. Salvation comes from God, not through human abilities. And so here's what God desires for us to come. God desires for us to come to him left-handed. Left-handed. God, listen, I'm weak. I come to you in my frailties and my weakness. And I need your help. Because if we come to him in our strength or we try to bring something to the table, God says it's not going to work. Israel was completely dependent on God for a deliverer. And he sends Ehud, the left-handed warrior, to work through his weakness to show God's power. What a testimony to this world to show how God can take us who have made so many mistakes and say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes, but it's only through God's power that he saves me through his son, Jesus. That's a pretty powerful testimony to the world. That's what the world needs to see. Listen, it's okay to be vulnerable. 
And it's okay to show your weakness. It just shows you how much you need Jesus. Jesus doesn't need a bunch of tough guys running around. Right? That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for those who humbly come before the cross and admit their weakness. See, it's through our willingness to humble ourselves that God works in us. And this is where we find his grace. God gives his power and his grace through a person that everybody else would have seemed to look over. I, um, as I was thinking about this message and as I was just reflecting on it and how God wants to work through our weaknesses, I was just drawn to the, the old hymn, Rock of Ages. And there's a, there's a line in the Rock of Ages, the hymn, that says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. See, this is, this is how Jesus wants us to come to him. Don't bring anything with you. Do you ever go to a party or a dinner party and you ask them, what should I bring? And they say, no, don't bring anything. I love those people, by the way. You're like, okay, I'll just come. Thank you. I'll just bring myself. You always feel like you have to bring something. But um, Jesus really means that. There's nothing that you can bring me in your own strength. Just simply cling to the cross. I'm going to do it all for you. So Lord, here's what I bring. I bring my weakness, my shortcomings, my dysfunction. That's all I got. And Jesus said, that's good. That's all I need. And I'll change your life. That's the type of leader God uses. That's the type of person God wants to use as a believer in this world. And so can we do one thing? Can we allow the cross of Christ and what Jesus did for us, can we allow that to be translated in the way we treat each other? Can we allow that to translate in the way we treat the world, even though we don't like what we see or the things that are going on, maybe? To show some grace and allow the truth of God to be revealed in itself as we walk in humility before Christ and to love people the way he loves them? and gave his life for them. Let us never forget the precious blood that was shed on Calvary's tree 2,000 years ago. It is as powerful then as it is now. It changed lives just as it did then, as it does now. So let us never forget the beautiful gospel message that Jesus didn't come for perfect people, He came from messed up people who need a savior. And I'm one of them. Amen. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to sing Rock of Ages in closing today. And uh, I want you to, as the band comes forward, um, the words of this hymn written in the 1700s is just rich. And so... Would you stand with me as the band comes? And I'm going to pray for you today. And uh, let's sing this wonderful hymn of the church.
together. I kind of threw this on the band. Thanks, Katie and the band and Andy. I kind of threw this on them last minute, so I appreciate them doing it uh, today. I just felt really led to sing this hymn today. So would you pray with me? And um, would you bow your hearts in for just a moment? Here's what I want you to do this week. Maybe in your notes, your sermon notes today, I, I want you to write down a couple things that you're grateful for. Just write down a couple things that you're grateful for what Jesus has done for you. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at those things every single day to remind yourself of the great salvation that you have. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not there yet. I, I'm just telling you, you, Jesus says, just come. Come to me as you are and let me change you. And so this week, I want you just to remind yourself every day as you get up of the great salvation that you've been given. And so write down a couple of things that you're just thankful. Maybe you're just thankful for Christ and his salvation or thankful for forgiveness, thankful for forgiving me of my sin, whatever that might be. And just remind yourself every day as you wake up, Jesus, I am thankful for you. I am thankful for you. It will change the way you look at your day and your heart, the way you look at the person that cuts you off or a long line that you may have to wait in. You just keep, when you're in a long line at Wegman, you just say, Jesus, I'm just thankful for your salvation. Praise God. Person cuts you off. Praise God. I'm thankful for my salvation, right? Just don't let it ruin your day. Amen. Father God, thank you that you help us remember Jesus by issuing communion to your disciples right before you went to the cross. Help us never to forget the wonderful salvation we have in you. And as we sing the song, Rock of Ages, Jesus, you are that cleft that we can hide in. You never change. You are all powerful. You never move. And I pray that we would hide ourselves in you today and not allow the distractions of the world to help mute out your voice in our lives. So we thank you for your word today. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Let's sing this under the Lord. God bless you.